We read scripture from Romans 14. Romans chapter 14. We read this chapter in connection with our treatment of Lord's Day 13, which speaks of the two names of Jesus, only begotten Son and Lord. We hear the inspired, infallible word of God. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day, regardeth it unto the Lord. He that regardeth not the day, to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not, to the Lord he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and living. But why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let us not, therefore, judge one another any more, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably, Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. For meat destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. May God bless his word to our hearts. In connection with this passage, as well as others to which we'll make reference, we have the teaching of 
Lord's Day 13. It's found in our Psalters on page 8. Question and answers 33 and 34. Lord's Day 13. Why is Christ called the only begotten Son of God since we are also the children of God? Because Christ alone is the eternal and natural Son of God. But we are children adopted of God by grace for his sake. Wherefore callest thou him our Lord? Because he hath redeemed us, both soul and body, from all our sins. Not with gold or silver, but with his precious blood. And hath delivered us from all the power of the devil, and thus hath made us his own property. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 14 sets forth clearly the lordship of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verses 8 and 9, For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. And the practical implications of that are set forth here in Romans 14. What does it mean that we confess Jesus is Lord? Very significantly, it means I'm not Lord. What I want, what I desire, is not what's important. Christ is Lord. And very practically here in Romans 14, it means I may not rise up in judgment over against a brother. I'm not Lord. Christ is Lord. Who am I to rise up and now judge in matters that God allows for freedom? And so we look at this morning the Lordship of Jesus Christ in connection with the fact that He is the only begotten Son. There's only one Jesus, one Deliverer, one Savior. There's only one Christ ordained by God the Father, anointed with the Holy Spirit to be that prophet, priest, and king. And He is Lord. And we make that our confession, that we believe that He is the only begotten Son, our Lord. What does that mean? What is the significance of that confession in our lives? We do not belong to the family of God naturally. We're not sons and daughters by birth. The glorious news of the gospel is that Jehovah God has adopted us into his family. And by grace, he has embraced us and made us his adopted sons and daughters. He's given us a place. And now as those who are adopted into His family, we serve Him. We glorify Him. We look to Him as the One who is our Lord and our Master. We never become God. We're His possessions. And we're called to show evidence of that by our conduct and by our walk. We hearken back to the only comfort in life and death, that I'm not my own, but I belong. And that's the glorious truth now that is reiterated. We belong to Jesus Christ as Lord. Because He's God, we acknowledge Him as Lord. And as Christ's possessions now, we live before Him in that consciousness. Remember what Thomas said after being convicted of the resurrection. My Lord and my God. He was not to live unto himself. He was to live for Christ's sake. 
We confess then that God controls our lives. He controls every detail of our lives. He controlled everything that took place this past week. He, took pla- he controlled everything that took place this past year. He is the one who rules all things and knows what's best for us. And we submit by God's grace to that lordship, confessing He is my Lord. We make that our confession, Jesus Christ, Lord. And we look at, first of all, that He rules as Lord. Second, that He makes us His willing servants. And finally, the privileged confession this is for us, that He works in us the heart, the grace by which we from the heart are able to call Him our Lord. Jesus Christ rules as Lord by virtue of His Godhead. As the Son of God, He rules over all things. And we know that that rule is not according to His being the second person of the Trinity. As God, He rules all things. But now the Catechism more specifically is talking about His rule as the Son of God in the flesh who's exalted at God's right hand and who rules everything according to his might and power. The focus of this Lord's Day is on that lordship over the church. And personally, you're in my confession, Jesus is my Lord. Now that lordship is a lordship of grace. It's that according to which he has established himself as Lord. Jesus is not Lord because he was a good man, did all kinds of good things, and therefore a lot of people came together and said, we want to make him our Lord. If that were true, his lordship would be very limited and not very significant. Jesus' lordship does not depend upon men and women. It's not as though we need to be busy in order to establish him as Lord. That he's not Lord, but he could be Lord if only we did more and if only we were more zealous in throning him and esteeming him as Lord. Man's duty, man's purpose on earth then would be to cause him to reign and to seek the coronation of Jesus Christ as Lord. Beloved, there's nothing we can do to add to the glory of God or to the exalted position of Jesus Christ. Jesus isn't Lord because many people call him such. That's true of many religious leaders. They become lords because a whole bunch of people get together and decide this person is important. And so we're going to designate him as Lord. Jesus is not Lord because of hero worship. Sinful men and women take all kinds of people and exalt them and make them great. Many are called Lord simply because they have subjects that are willing to serve them, to further their cause, to crown them king. All of this fails to set forth the glorious place of Jesus Christ as Lord. He is Lord by virtue of his exalted position as the Son of God. There are no inferior lords to whom Jesus now has to answer, as though Jesus is subject. He is Lord. He is the greatest. And that's why sometimes we sing about the fact that he's Lord of lords. There are all kinds of earthly lords, but he is the ruler of all earthly lords. He's the king of kings, of all earthly kings. And as such, he is the one who alone rules. He's Lord 
by virtue, to his, by virtue of his being the only begotten Son of God and being exalted to that position at God's right hand. Such is a wonder of grace for the church. The only begotten Son is taken by God and exalted as Redeemer, as Lord, and as Deliverer. And Paul writes of that in Romans 10, 12 and 13. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This Lord is rich to those who call upon Him. And He works in our hearts now the response by which we look to Him and we cry out to Him. In Romans 14 here, verses 8 and 9, For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, both Christ both died and rose and revived, that He might be Lord both of the dead and the living. God the Father bestowed upon Jesus Christ the highest honor of being Lord and King over all for the sake of His church. And we confess the wonder of that. We're sons and daughters of God, but not in the same way as Jesus. We acknowledge a huge difference between us and Christ. He's the only begotten. He's of the same essence as the Godhead whereas we are adopted sons and daughters. His is a natural sonship. Ours is by grace. And as such then, we acknowledge He rules over us. He is Lord. And as His adopted children, we bow before Him with thankful hearts, acknowledging the wonder of His rule and of His Lordship, that God has graciously taken us into His family And now as thankful children, we love Him, we delight in Him, and we look to Him as the one who guides and directs all things in our lives for His glory and for our good. Now Christ's lordship in our lives is according to God's sovereign decree. That's an important truth that we embrace. This isn't something that happened according to men. It's something that was eternally decreed. There's especially three passages powerfully that teach that truth. Acts 2, verse 36. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. God has taken Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, as Peter preaches here in his sermon at Pentecost, And God has made him Lord and Christ. God did so according to his sovereign decree, which was an eternal decree. In Romans 14 here, Paul talks about the fact that, again, in the context of life within the church and the tendency of believers to rise up against one another in judgment, sets forth the truth that Jesus is Lord. And then he explains how that came about in verse 9. How is it that Jesus became Lord? For to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. The second person of the Trinity was always Lord by virtue of his Godhead. But now he's talking about Jesus in the flesh. He died. He rose again. 
He was revived and he was placed by God in that position at God's right hand. And as such now, he is the one who is Lord. And so we're talking here about the second person come in the flesh, seated at God's right hand according to God's sovereign decree and determination. Psalm 110 echoes that truth. The Lord said to his Christ, In glory I enthrone thee. Until all your foes, whom you have led in triumph, shall acknowledge you to be their sovereign king. God takes his own son now, his beloved, only begotten son, and exalts him to this position at the moment of his ascension into heaven. We maintain that lordship of Jesus Christ. This is part of the joy of the church. As we witness troubles and trials, in our own lives, as we look at the power of the devil within the church and outside of the church, as we witness all of the events taking place throughout the world, here is the comfort of the child of God. The one seated on the throne is my Lord. He rules all things in might and power for the good of His church and for the glory of His heavenly Father. This is part of the importance of singing the psalms. We rejoice in the opportunity to sing the psalms. And while there's other songs that we can sing with profit, we sing the psalms. And why is it that the psalms are so beautiful and so glorious? Because this is the theme that runs throughout the psalms. Nothing happens by chance. Everything is according to the sovereign determination of God. And how is that evident? The psalms reflect the life of the child of God in all of its detail, in all of its riches, involving sin, disappointment, struggle, depression, sorrow, rejection. And as the Psalms lay out all of those experiences, they do so from the perspective of God's sovereign control and the fact that nothing is happening by chance, everything attributable to Christ, to His love and to His care for His people. That's the glorious confession that we make when we make as our confession that we believe in Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, our Lord. What a confession. And beloved, we make that confession as willing servants that we have been made the property of this Lord is the song of victory of the redeemed church throughout the ages. It's the song that lives within our hearts and souls. So that this is a very personal confession for you and for me. Even as Christ has authority over all the world, over the bugs and the storms and the animals, over everything that takes place, He owns me. He takes me as His possession. He owns my will. He owns my thoughts. He owns my time. He owns the whole of my being. He is the one who owns my spouse, my children, my past, my future. Now there's a great difference between the ownership of a slave and master and this ownership to Jesus Christ. Christ purchased us in love. He makes us his own in love. And he directs and rules our lives perfectly in love. A master may do that for a time. A master may look out for the good of his slaves 
and was required to do so, but he would still be selfish. He would still fail in various ways. Our Lord is never selfish. He never fails. Everything he does for the sake of those whom the Father has given him. No danger, no matter how great, can harm us. Now by nature we become afraid. By nature we look around us and we're very fearful. By nature there's all kinds of unrest in our lives because of the way that God directs things and circumstances. We become fearful of the future so easily because it's out of our control. We can't control it. The state of the economy causes all kinds of concern. The state of politics creates concern and uncertainty. The power of the devil in my life and in your life rightly causes us concern. We see his power. We see how quickly he leads and guides us into ways of sin and how easily we give in. No enemy no matter how crafty, can bring about our downfall out of the grace into which we've been purchased. And that's the marvelous confession that we make. Though we fall, we will be preserved. We will be picked up because nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Eternally, we are the property of our beloved Lord. And the gates of hell cannot prevail against us. And so again, the Psalms become so rich. The Lord is my shepherd. A shepherd loves his sheep, guides his sheep, provides for his sheep. David confesses again and again, under his wings he protects, he keeps me. And all of the various beautiful analogies that are used, reflecting on the wonder of my Lord's care for me. So that, beloved, this little confession, my Lord, is a confession that causes us to weep with joy. Words can't convey the comfort, the strength that is ours in those two little words, our Lord. And eternity is not going to be long enough to show our joy and our gratitude for this wonder. And throughout all of eternity, the multitudes of the redeemed will honor and praise Him as Lord. Now, how did that come about? God redeemed us. And that's the wonder of redemption. The fact that we were redeemed points to the fact that we were in bondage. We were in bondage to the devil, we were enslaved to the devil. He had control of us. And as such, he had nothing but misery in mind for us. He wants to deceive us. He wants us all to go to hell. And so by nature, we were his possession. And Romans 1, 19-21 describes not only just the wicked's, wicked world's attitude toward God, but also that which is the attitude of every man by nature. The invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead. Even though all men know God is God, he's all-powerful, yet we also hold the truth in unrighteousness, glorify him not as God, are filled with doubts and fears and concerns and act and live as though he's not the one ruling all things. 
Christ paid the price to ransom us. His precious blood was shed for our sins. And that's what the catechism here celebrates. Wherefore callest thou him our Lord, because he hath redeemed us, both soul and body, from all our sins. And not with gold or silver, but with his precious blood, that delivered us from all the power of the devil, and thus made us his own property. He bought us. He entered into the stronghold of Satan, coming into the experience of our state of misery. And he didn't merely pay an external price. He gave his own blood as the payment. He redeemed us. He delivered us with a price of eternal love. And that payment was not made to the devil. The devil didn't own us. That payment was made to God in order to satisfy the justice of God. The devil was not the rightful owner. Jesus Christ delivered us. He made us his own property and paid the price we owed unto God. And that's the marvelous wonder that the catechism here celebrates. And it's the wonder that Romans 14 celebrates. For to this end, he both died and rose and revived. Why is it that Jesus had to die? Why is it that he rose again? Why is it that he was ascended into heaven? That he might be Lord. That he might be your Lord. Lord of the dead and of the living. Lord of those who have died in Christ as well as those yet alive. He paid the price. And he made us then his own property. Now we were his property by virtue of creation because he's God. Now we're his property by virtue of election and the wonder of his love. And it's a lordship of love. This is the greatest lordship that ever can be experienced. He obtained for himself the right by which we now love him, trust in him, serve him, and live unto him as our Lord. What a wondrous truth. And this is the Truth, then, that motivates pastors, elders, deacons to care for the flock of Jesus Christ. These are blood-bought children of the King. And this is the motivation that moves us to love one another and to walk in love with one another. It's the motivation behind the very practical application here of Romans 14, that we take care how we live with one another not rising up quickly in judgment with regard to the matters that God has not spoken to. Because I'm not Lord. Christ is Lord. And who am I to lord it over someone when Christ Himself is not requiring of that person those things? The death of Jesus affected the release of all the slaves who belonged to God so that they're made free. There are times we read about the release of prisoners of war, and it can be moving and touching. We read about how these individuals were persecuted, how they were afflicted for so long, how they were in these prisons and kept in these camps, and then somehow something transpires and they're released. And the joy of their families and their joy is that which cannot be contained. Beloved, that helps us in a little bit understand the beauty of this truth. God has taken you and me out of a misery infinitely more great than anything that any POW has ever experienced. And he's given us freedom. 
We're not just taken out of misery. We're now planted into the camp of the one who is our Lord Jesus Christ, who loves us with an everlasting love. Nothing is more beautiful than that truth. The chief idea of lordship then is that Jesus Christ possesses me and he rules over me now as his possession. And this is a lordship of love. When I call him Lord, I confess, he's responsible for me. Now that's a beautiful idea. It's an idea that our flesh wrestles against at times. But we confess all the responsibility for my salvation rests in Jesus Christ my Lord. He is responsible for me and for you before God. And he intercedes with the Father in such a way that he says, that man, that woman, that young child is mine. I'm responsible for him, for her. I died. I poured out my blood for him. And Jesus Christ is our sole proprietor. We are his property completely. Our heart and its desires belong to him. Our mind and its thoughts belong to him. My eyes and the things that I set them on belong to him. My ears, the things that I hear and allow my ear to listen, are that which must be pleasing to him. My hands, my feet, everything, the whole of my being is to be directed to my Lord. How will I serve him? How will I show my love? How will I use all that I am in his service and for his glory? And beloved, this is a delight. This doesn't make us miserable. Now, according to the flesh, again, it crimps our style. According to the flesh, it limits us. According to the flesh, it can create some grief because we want to do certain things. We desire other things. But such is not the will of my Lord. But it gives joy in the Spirit. And that joy is found especially in this. My value and my worth is found in my union to Christ. It's found in who I am by the wonder of God's grace. It's not found in anything of myself, anything I've done or not been able to accomplish. My value and worth is found in the fact that I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And I am precious in His eyes. And He's the one who will keep me and will preserve me to all eternity. My value is found in the wonder of my adoption into His family. And that humbles me. And I pray for that humility that I not think of myself more highly than I ought because my value has nothing to do with anything I've done or accomplished. My value is only that which is found in the wonder of God's sovereign, eternal decree of election and the price that my Savior paid for me on Calvary. And now the work of His Spirit within me, preserving and keeping me to all eternity. That liberates. Perhaps I grew up in a family where I was not appreciated very well. Perhaps I was abused in relationships and I was made to feel worthless as though I was inferior. Perhaps I was being compared continually to others who were far better than me academically or athletically. I look to Christ. My value has nothing to do with any of that. My value has to do with the wonder that I am an adopted son, daughter, 
of my beloved Savior, Jesus Christ, and that He is the one who loves me and will preserve and keep me to all eternity. And that lordship is exclusive. Absolutely intolerant of any other lord. You can understand why through the ages, saints would rather choose death than confess that Caesar was on the same level as Jesus Christ. Caesar is not Lord as Christ is Lord. Christ is Lord. And next to Jesus Christ, there is none other that can stand in that capacity in my life. Beloved, do you believe Jesus Christ is my Lord? Do you confess Him as your Lord? And are you willing to submit to Him as your Lord? That's the wonder of His grace in our hearts. Now sometimes we have doubts, we have fears about our salvation. Then we have to ask ourselves, do you believe that Jehovah God is sovereign as the Lord of heaven and earth? And that He sent Jesus Christ as His Son to pay the price that was necessary for salvation? And if you believe that, your doubts are dispelled. He did it. Your salvation is in God's hands and in the wonder of the cross of Jesus Christ. And therein is your comfort and your hope. Doubts, fears become a denial of the divine power and Godhead. He has saved me. He has delivered me. And He is the one who will preserve and keep me to all eternity. He is responsible for getting you and me to heaven. And He will not fail. That's the wonder of an unconditional covenant. God embraces us in love and He preserves and keeps us and He will bring us to the glory that awaits. And as Lord, He will bring all His adopted sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, spotless into eternal glory on the basis of His perfect sacrifice. Beloved, that loving lordship of Jesus Christ manifests itself in our hearts as we confess and as we submit to him. Christ calls us by his mighty, sovereign word. And we come. We come with joy. We come as those who know him as my Lord and my Savior. And we confess, my Lord. He demands of us that we submit to him. And with joy, we submit in every respect to Him, seeking to bring the whole of our lives into submission to His sovereign rule. Not just one part of my life, not just this part of my life. Praying for the grace to see my sins, to see the sins that I'm not even aware of. To be humble when others point out sin to me in order that I might bring the whole of my life in subjection to His sovereign will. Submitting my job to Him by choosing an occupation in which I can use the gifts that He's given to glorify Him and to promote His kingdom. Submitting to Him as I seek a spouse, desiring to marry in the Lord and to seek His will in that. Submitting to Him as I seek to know what to do with regard to college, how to develop the gifts that God has given in His service, submitting to Him with regard to the training of my children. There's not one inch of our lives in which Jesus Christ is not 
our Lord. And we acknowledge that dependence upon him in every aspect of our life. Willingly submitting to his will by the work of his spirit in our hearts. And so we make decisions in life always with that in mind. What is the will of my Savior? How would the Lord have me to conduct myself in this situation, this circumstance? Teaching our children, our young people to make the decisions in their lives in connection always with submission to Jesus Christ as their Lord. He is Lord. He rules. He's the one to whom you must submit. And the education, the training of our children has to constantly be directing them to confess Jesus as Lord and to see the marvelous wonder of that confession in their lives. They are not Lord of their lives. Christ is. And they submit to Him in love. Beloved, this confession is the fruit of the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 3 says, No man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost works in your and my hearts this confession as a most privileged confession. The ability to call Jesus Lord is not given to all men. Now all men eventually will confess Jesus as Lord. That's what verse 11 says here. As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Many will do so in hell, at the end of the world. All men will confess, Jesus is Lord. But now the fact of Christ's gracious lordship is enjoyed by those who are the sons, the daughters of God. God adopts us in Jesus Christ and bestows upon us the blessing of his Spirit. It pleased him to deliver those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage that they might be the children of God. Behold I and the children which God hath given me. Hebrews 2 verse 13. The Holy Spirit works this confession in your and my hearts. And we give God all glory. We praise and we exalt Him. It works in us worship. We gather in order to praise Him, to exalt Him. Confessing Jesus is the natural son. You and I are adopted sons and daughters. And that truth of adoption is one of the most glorious comforts of the church of Jesus Christ. We are the children of God, brought by grace into God's family. Never must we lose sight of that. There are so many who don't dare lay hold on that. Don't dare confess, I am a child of God, and I can have that assurance. The Bible clearly reveals you are the children of God in 1 John 3 verses 1 and 2. And God works by His Spirit, that assurance. An adoption in Christ is the only ground why you can call yourself that child of God. Now we know God didn't go to an adoption agency and look through the files and pick out those whom He deemed were the best and the nicest and the best looking and the ones who had accomplished the most. He didn't even choose mere strangers. He chose those who were enemies. Such is the wonder of his grace. Ezekiel 16 gives us that startling picture of finding a baby in its blood and then restoring that child, causing that one to grow up, causing that one to be beautiful, 
all God's work in his grace. An adoption that took place from eternity, realized in time, and finalized through the resurrection when Jesus Christ reconciled unto himself his children and then works in their hearts that new life of regeneration by his spirit and gives us to know and to confess, Jesus is my Lord. And that adoption never changes. That's a comfort to you and to me. God looks upon us as his children and nothing can change the commitment that God has made because that commitment is grounded in eternity and the work of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And now, out of thankfulness, I serve Him. I magnify Him. I glorify Him. I worship Him. Jesus establishing that Lordship in our hearts and causing our minds to be in tune with His mind, our will in tune with His will. And our response is not that of rebellion, but rather, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? That's the Christian faith. The Christian faith, not a set of conditions, not legalism with all of its do's and don'ts. And that's the point of this entire chapter in Romans 14. We serve Christ. And as those who serve Christ, we delight in the things of His kingdom. And we desire to show forth His praise. And we live one with another in a spirit of love and communion. And we seek to do all that we do out of that faith that God has worked in our hearts. The scribes and Pharisees had law upon law, precept upon precept. Obedience to their law could not produce one Christian. Verse 12, So then, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. We stand before the living God, and we do so not alone. I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And the foundation of the Christian faith is built upon Christ, my Lord, who has fully satisfied for all my sins and who has taken me into the wonder of that redemption. Verse 19, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and the things wherewith one may edify another. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, what great things thou hast done for us. Strengthen our faith. May we know the comfort the joy that is ours by virtue of our adoption into thy family. And may we ever live with that confession on our lips, my Lord, confessing the joy and wonder of it as he lives in our hearts by his Spirit. Amen.